We are at 23 minutes past the hour. I'm here with Black Powder Dave. Welcome back to the Canadian Gum Vault, Behind the Vault Door. My name is Mark Morelli. I'll be your podcast host. Joining me today is none other than a special guest, Black Powder Dave. Dave. I just happened to stop by, and you, here we are. You know, it's always nice seeing, uh, you know, uh, getting an unexpected visit from you, Dave. I, I always enjoy your company. I always enjoy hearing your perspective on things, and uh, certainly you've been watching the news. What do you uh, what do you think about the current state of affairs as it relates to uh, what's going in on in our country? Yeah, let's hear it. I personally think it's a disaster what's going on in our country. Yeah, uh, there is definitely a government that has a lean towards the communist side of politics, mm-hmm. which is very scary. Yeah. If anybody has any idea of history, that's not a good route to go. No. Like the uh, heritage minister and that horrible mess that he put out about controlling the media licensing licensing and like he couldn't answer any questions who's going to decide who gets to say what and and it's like wow well i'll tell you right now who gets to decide the liberals they will yeah the liberals they'll they'll create they'll create you know their ministry of truth (laughs) which will be anything but which will be anything but it'll be their version of the truth which of course you know if you've been following canadian politics over the last four and a half years you would realize that the liberal government is about anything but the truth nope and it's frightening to see the number of shady things that they've gotten themselves into. I mean, we could talk about SNC-Lavalin. We could talk about, you know, appointments to positions that uh, are of obvious conflict of interest. Yep. You know, we've got quite a bit going on there that should be, uh, you know, of a, a great concern to everybody yep. here in Canada. Even people standing up in Parliament and saying things that just are not true. This is a lot of the problem, though, when somebody has the stage... They can say what they want, and if people absorb it, then they win. Well, there doesn't seem to be any repercussions. Uh, there's, no. there, I, I don't see any accountability for the liberal government. I mean, it seems like, I don't know where we lost our way. You know, uh, once upon a time, you would not appoint, you know, your wife to a position because no. there's an obvious conflict of interest you know she she is going to of course push forward you know my agenda like, people wouldn't even dream of doing it and yet this government seems very willing to place you know people in critical strategic positions and, and more and more every day we're finding out that these people have been placed in these spots where they can have an impact on outcomes and and people keep shrugging their shoulders I, like somewhere along the way people lost sight of the fact that you you can't engage in those kinds of activities without being accused of you know uh trying to rig the game right and, exactly. and yeah, and so and you know, like like you said, the heritage minister, he gets he gets up there and he gives an interview and he says flat out, you know, we're gonna, you know, we think that all media groups should be licensed. They should be licensed, and you know, uh, tax, so, whatever. But 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 it boils down to government-controlled media, which should be of concern to everybody. Because I mean, the idea that you know a government could have its own propaganda machine, and I mean that's what I'm going to call it. And anybody that wants to call me a tinfoil hat, you know, wearing a conspiracy theorist for saying that, I mean, anytime you've got a controlling body, you know, governing a country, and then they have a, a media group that will put out specifically what they want and nothing yep. else that 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 should be of concern because it's not it's not what the free press was designed to be i mean it's it's supposed to lay out the facts and let people make their yep. own decisions or if they only interview people that have the view they want put out oh yeah it's a one-sided uh 
propaganda effort. Basically, if you're only putting out a left-wing view of people, it's like even the teachers' strike. Mm. Well, they can put all the teachers out. No offense to teachers, but, I mean... Coach Nick's going to have your ass. Coach Nick will have my ass. (laughs) But it is... The media is putting out more of the union leaders' view of things. And... There's more than that involved, and you need to have both sides equally mm-hmm. involved and find out what's really up. Well, you know, I, I've talked to Coach Nick about this, and I, I certainly wanted to see the other side uh, of the equation. Uh, you know, if, contrary to popular belief, it's not all about the money. Uh, it's about classroom size and, you know, making sure that, you know, students are given the best educational opportunities that they, they can get. Uh, if, the, if the class sizes keep on growing and, you know, the oh. ratio of, you know, students to teachers keeps on, you know, growing larger and larger every day, that kids aren't going to get the the same kind of quality education that perhaps they should? I don't know about that because when I went to school, our Mm -hmm. class sizes were always 28 to 32. And there was never a problem for a teacher to teach those people. Okay. And the other issue is I know the government wants to do e-learning classes. Yeah. And some people may have an issue with it, Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you right now, the second you leave school and go to work, Mm -hmm. you're going to be doing e-learning. Yeah, I know. So it's done in the business world. I know. Should we not be training these kids now Mm -hmm. to be used to that? Okay. You know what? I'm going to interrupt you for one second, only because I know uh, about one minute ago in the conversation, you said something that probably has Coach Nick standing on a high chair. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, on his behalf, speak for him on this issue. and, And he can take a swat at me later if he thinks I got it wrong. But ultimately, I know that he would say that the challenges that modern teachers face uh, today are much different than those that were faced during our generation. Uh, your generation and my generation grew up with respect. Uh, certainly there weren't kids, um, you know, that were acting the way they do today. The level of control uh, that a, a teacher had in that classroom environment was much greater. And so now you've got, you know, special needs students everywhere that, you know, may or may not explode, you know, at, at any moment into, into violent behavior. And they, and like, it takes away from the other kids. There's so many, there's so many modern challenges that differ from the ones that were faced by teachers 20, 30 years ago that, that the need to, I, I think, um, uh, diminish the sizes of the class, you know, to, to, to mm-hmm. offset those challenges is, is greater. Like just, just to hear the other side of it. Cause that's, a, that's what I know. That is you would a side say. you can go with, but at the same time you go back to the early, late 60s, early 70s, mm-hmm. when I was in school. Yeah. A long time ago. I, I wasn't even born yet. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> we, we had plenty of assholes in oh, our sure. class, and the teachers had to deal with them. But mm-hmm. the one thing that was different back then, yeah. we had discipline in the classrooms. Yeah, yeah. And somewhere or other, that was eroded. Mm-hmm. To the point where teachers, and I do get this, mm-hmm. and I do feel for that. My sister was a teacher, and I understand. And she got kids in her class. Their parents are both drug addicts. The kids are unruly. They're out of control. Mm-hmm. We still had some issues around that. Yeah. It's like my locker mate was the school pot dealer. Mm-hmm. I had to deal with that. Is your, is your locker mate? I had a locker mate. 
And every time I opened my locker, the whole hallway would go, who's got the hooch? Yeah, really? Oh, yeah. He was the big guy. I'd come, all my crap would be in a heap in the bottom of the locker. I'd go like, what is going on here? The police raided my locker, right? <laughs> So, you know, I would. There, there was problems I, back I, then that had to be dealt with, but the schools had discipline and that got taken away, yeah. which has led to whatever these modern problems are. Yeah, you know, um, I've always maintained that it's important to find a healthy balance. During my generation, I don't know if I caught the tail end of yours, but I mean, you know, I, I often laugh and tell people I went to an all boys school where you could still get thrown out of a third floor window if you weren't careful by by a teacher. Certainly, a uh, you know five step flight of concrete stairs was not out of the question if you decided to get unruly with uh, one of the teachers at the high school I attended. Yep. And but there was a healthy amount of respect. Now you know you don't want to see that, of course, and you don't want to see anybody get badly hurt. I think that that's that's not right either. I mean, the days of you know priests hauling off and you know knocking the kids two front teeth out and then going home to your parents and, and you know getting whacked again. I, I don't want to see us return to that. But I but I do believe though that some form of physical discipline and corporal punishment yeah, um, the respect know, factor is gone well, well you know I, I can't I can't sit here and say that I'd like to see it brought back but at the same time I think it's impossible to ignore um, you know the uh, the lines of this thing sort of coinciding like I mean the, the, the decline of respect in the classroom and the the presence of, of an ever-increasing number of kids that take away from you know the education of others by behaving the way they do and the problems that you know and challenges that teachers face you know the 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 two intersect, you know, like you've got this decline in corporal punishment and then this sudden increase in, in a lack of respect for teachers. And I mean, that's, that's gotta be stressful to, you know, to have a kid, you know, blow his cork in class, start tearing it apart. And the only thing you can do as a teacher is walk out of the classroom, lock the door and let them destroy the classroom. Exactly. And, and listening to coach Nick talk about that. I mean, I, I just sat there and shook my head in disbelief and thought, you know, like you can't, you can't even restrain that child. Like, I mean, using like soft hand techniques, like just hold his arm to anymore. Uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, and, discipline. I, and well, I know that they're not allowed to do that, but I mean, it, like if you got a kid that's losing his mind in a classroom, could you not make the argument that perhaps he's going to hurt himself and that you have an obligation as a, as an educator to, you know, step in, uh, you know, the criminal code does make allowances. And I used to tell people this all the time for parents, caregivers, guardians, teachers, you know, people in positions of authority, uh, to, to physically manage you know, children, youths, uh, w within reasonable means, of course. Uh, so, so, I mean, that, that avenue legally is available to them. I'm sure there's fallout from, from doing so. Uh, and you don't want to see teachers going overboard like they used to in the old days when you and I were in classes. Not that far overboard. You know what? Well, you know, I don't know. You and I went to different schools. Well, I yeah, <laughs> but I still, I can tell you a story. Yeah. And, uh, in my class, there was... A guy who was a bit of a dick, bigger guy, yeah. you know, he had muscle and everything. And one day we were in math class and he said something to the teacher that was just, it was rude. Offside. And completely out of line and everything. And our math teacher was a scrawny little guy. And he walked up to him and he looked right down at him and he said, what'd you say to me? And the kid turned and he said it again. This little scrawny teacher picked him up with one hand right out of his seat and threw him into the wall. He ended up in a hump, crumpled heap 
on the floor. Yeah. Teacher walked away. Yeah. Guy got back in the seat and he was dead silent. Of Didn't course. Didn't say a word because it was like, oh. No, and no worse for wear. I mean, like, I, I think, I think that so many, uh, so many problems I saw, uh, you know, over the years or observed over the years as a police officer stem from, you know, parents and teachers, you know, that felt this complete powerlessness over today's youth. And, you know, they, they would have these, you know, moments where they would, you know, misbehave so badly or, you know, outbursts, you know, and, and physically be violent. And I mean, the, the, the idea that a child would suddenly feel like they're in the driver's seat is a very dangerous, you know, practice to engage in to allow that, you know, like, I mean, we can't let the tail wag the dog. I used to tell people. That's exactly what's happened. And, and it seems like, you know, again, you know, when you talk about the uh, philosophies that have, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, infiltrated our educational system, and, and they all stem from this less left-leaning sort of hug-a-thug mentality where, you know, just let them, just let, just let him, you know, vent and, you know, let him, let him yeah. destroy the entire classroom and disrupt everything, you know, like, I, I, I don't think that that's right. And I don't think it's right either. No, no. And, 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 you know, and if anybody wants to paint me up or characterize me to be, you know, some kind of, um, you know, extremists that would, you know, think it's okay to beat kids. I, I'd say like, no, I don't, I don't believe in that either. Not beating, but no. discipline. Well, I think, I think that, I think that reasonable physical discipline, you know, uh, as per Canadian law, you know, is acceptable, uh, you know, and I mean, and, and everybody should have to answer for their actions. I mean, if a teacher, if a teacher does have to lay his hands on a child, he should be made to articulate exactly why he did it and to demonstrate, you know, that he didn't go overboard. I think the onus needs to be on the teacher. He's the, he's the older one. But I mean, in, in the face of, you know, overwhelming uh, evidence that the kid was completely out of control and destroying the classroom and there really wasn't any good reason for it. And, you know, like just locking him in the room and letting him spin out of control. I mean, I went over this with Coach Nick and, and thought, like, you know, whose idea is it to like suddenly retract everybody from the classroom and make everybody else suffer as a result of this kid losing his marbles rather than just to grab him by the scruff and walk him to the, yeah. you know, that's uh, the system somebody's come up with. Yeah. Like to take him to the principal's office and let him know that he can't act this way uh, instead of isolating him in the room and making him feel like he's in a fishbowl and, you know, maybe, you know, a circus act for everybody to watch, which, which I'm sure just further uh, fosters more aggression and makes them spiral even more out of control because now they feel like they're being watched and they've got an audience. I, th- I think there's a lot of reasons why, you know, maybe a different approach might be more practical and, and what better. If this person goes out and gets a real job now, do you think at your job, you're just going to just take everybody out of the room? No, you're, you're going to be the one going out of the room. And now how do you deal with that after going through school where Every time you threw a fit, everybody else walked away. Now it's the other way around. Well, you know, preparing today's youth for the real world, okay, is, is, um, you know, it's sad, you know, to watch, to watch people go into life and, you know, not be prepared for the challenges they're going to face and, you know, to be given a participation award for everything. Like, I mean, like there, there are no real participation awards out there in in the real world i mean you either produce uh, results or you don't and you know it, nobody's gonna give a shit if you know nope. yeah you know you 
you know, but then again, we've got our leadership here in Canada. They're taking, you know, 12 vacations a day or rather 12 vacations a year rather and, and completely sidestepping responsibility. And all you need to do is look to the Trudeau leadership to see that, that, that kind of philosophy of, you know, like I, you know, I don't need to be held responsible. I don't feel like dealing with this. I'm, you know what, something bad's happened. Yeah. I'll address it when I get back from, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, tropical destination I decided to unwind in and decompress in. I mean, like I get it, you know, it's a difficult position to be in leading a country and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if you weren't such a complete screw up, but you know, taking, you know, 10 or 12 vacations a year on the company dime is not the answer either. I'm really, well, I'm I'm surprised that people haven't lost their marbles just with the numbers alone. Like, I mean, how many vacations does a, a guy need a year? How many family days does he need to take a year? How many times does he have to take let's, leave? Let's add up how much carbon he's burning. Well, yeah, he's, fl- he's flying back and forth. I mean, I love that he's criticizing everybody else for, you know, how much they're emitting. And meanwhile, he's throwing more, more contaminants into the atmosphere, yeah. flying back and forth on one of his couple of jets than anybody else. Hey, we could hit zero carbon if he just stopped flying. Yeah, you know what? We'd be, we'd be <laughs> a hell of a lot better. But that, you know, that, that brings me to the subject of socialism. And, and you know what? That it's always okay for the top dogs to do whatever they want. I find it fascinating that, you know, world leaders would show up for, you know, climate summits in their jets. And it's like, we're here to criticize how much, you know, emissions you guys put out driving to work every day, trying to make ends meet. And meanwhile, we're going to be flying around on jets that are going to be spitting so much shit into the atmosphere that we're really the, we're really the true offenders here. But that, that, that's not the point, right? We're here to tell you how bad you are and how you need to change. How many gallons of jet fuel do you think it takes just to get a plane off the ground? Yeah. It's like huge. Well, why, why, you know what, much, much like the firearm debate, why aren't they identifying the real problem and addressing it? I mean, like if, if you've got countries like China that are throwing uh, two thirds of the world's shit into the atmosphere and you can correct me if the stat's wrong, but I, I, why is the world not pointing their fingers at China and saying, you guys got to start cleaning up? Yeah. Well, well, you know what? Nobody wants to address that one because everybody loves China technology. Everybody loves China money. Right? And, yep. and so it's so much easier to point the finger at the Western world. Uh, some might argue that there's an agenda involved. You know, is there is money? It's uh, you know, it's all. It always comes back to money. Money. It always comes back to money. And speaking of money, I think Canadians should be up in arms. Like, I mean, Justin Trudeau. And I mean, I, I I watched, I watched this young man speak. um, You know, it was on the internet. It was a video clip that I had, uh, you know, looked at, or it had been brought to my attention. He was a uh, former Canadian soldier. You know, stationed overseas. And, you know, he was, uh, he was composed, you know, and he was articulate. Uh, you know, he spoke passionately um, when he spoke. And, and I, I, was, I was rather impressed, you know, like uh, without knowing anything about the man. You know, he, I think, you know, described in a way that most people could digest fairly easily that, you know, uh, we've got Omar Cotter, a, a known convicted terrorist, was paid you know, $10.5 million by the government secretly. They did it. They did it without anybody knowing when they had a majority government. And that's something I think everybody needs to really be um, aware of is while the liberal government had a majority, they pushed through a ton of shit that would have never happened if, if there had been any kind of opposition or checks and balances. But because they had a majority government, 
government, they could pretty much do whatever they wanted. Anybody that questioned it could get shut down. Any kind of debate could get shut down. Any kind of investigation could get shut down. That's SNC. Right? It's, it's, it's just this like red wave of decision-making power that couldn't be challenged on any level, even if it looked like they had broken the law, you know, which really, which really begs the question whether or not the RCMP is in the liberal government's pocket because, it, you know, while they had this majority government, there were a number of things that were brought to light that made people question whether or not, you know, uh, there had obviously been some ethical violations. The ethics commissioner had made, you know, their rulings. It didn't seem to matter, you know, and, and there were uh, enough people coming forward with enough evidence uh, to warrant an investigation into the liberal government and its leadership as it related to SNC-Lavalin, and yet nothing ever came of it. And the idea that we might be bringing, you know, or they might be bringing themselves, the RCMP, uh, you know, into disrepute, you know, like the, in the legal in the legal system, into disrepute by not pursuing what may be an obvious uh, breach of the law, you know, at least investigating it. And, you know, really, you know, like, I mean, we've got some major problems here. We've got a government that was making decisions that nobody would agree with. Um, you couldn't seem to investigate anything, couldn't seem to get them, you know, uh, you know, challenged in any way that was was effective while they had a majority government. Well, now they're not in the same position. You know, they have a minority government. They got to watch their step a little bit more. But I, I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, while they were in power for four years, you know, they pretty much were left to do whatever they wanted. And they had, of course, the control of the media who had, you know, been, <laughs> you know, $600 million have been set aside, <laughs> you know, to pay the media, uh, you know, like <laughs> they got media bailout money, you know, like they, 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 they had money set aside and the people that would determine who uh, in terms of media organizations got the money, right? We're liberals, you know, they were appointed into those positions. And so, so you couldn't even hear, you know, what had really gone on because the media groups wouldn't put it out there for, no. for people to digest, or if they did, it would be out there for about a half second. How much money do you think Toronto Sun got from the liberals? Zero big fat donut. Cause you know what? They, they have an op opposing posi uh, position they to most things. Anti-liberal positions. Exactly. I, I don't know if they have anti-liberal or if they have anti-stupid. Like, I mean, they seem to be, you know, a lot of people would say that the sun is a, you know, conservative rag. I, I disagree. I think that there's a lot of great articles there. I would say it's more of a conservative base. Absolutely. But the star is definitely left-wing based. There's no doubt about it. CBC is a left-wing base. Star wouldn't even exist without the liberal government. Yeah, uh, they, it would be out of business by now. Well, $115,000 a week. I mean, they, they wouldn't exist. That no, they, they're get, the money. Doing. The money coming in is purely from the you know the government. And and like just imagine, folks. Like again, you know, like historically, socialist and communist regimes have used the media groups to push a message they want out to the public, in an effort to mislead them or. Or, you know, misguide them into into areas that you know that, that ordinarily people would be up in arms about. You can soften things, and that's that's something that I think is happening here. And I think I don't think there's anybody out there that would disagree with me when I say that it's wrong, you know, to have the government in control of the media and to be so deeply entrenched in the educational system that political ideologies are being passed on to the kids, that they're being pushed on to the general public, and at the same time to suppress. Opposing views is wrong. Yeah. And so back to back to this Jeremy McKenzie. So so, you know, Omar Carter was paid out ten point five million dollars by a government. Most people didn't even know it happened. Um, he was he was held 
uh, in custody, you know, for, for what they say was, you know, uh, uh, an extraordinary amount of time and it shouldn't have happened. And the government sort of abandoned him in many ways, you know, uh, during the Harper administration. He killed someone. Well, he was a known terrorist. He, he was responsible for deaths. He was building explosive devices that killed people. And I mean, he's a known terrorist. He's a convicted terrorist. And there's there's a lot of contention revolving around this $10.5 million payout. And so most people would be bent out of shape if they knew that a terrorist was getting $10.5 million of your tax dollars without a fight. And I mean, they, they paid him that money under the pretense that fighting him on it would have cost more. And, and this is where I have a real problem with this government is so often... When it works for them, they'll say, we don't have the money. Meanwhile, they're carting containerfuls of money and sending them around the world in what appears to be a, you know, a bid uh, by Justin Trudeau to, you know, improve his public image around the world and to be this grand philanthropist. Like, I mean, right now he's spending millions of our tax dollars, giving it away in Africa. And before that, right. And he wants that UN seat. And I mean, there's many people out there that are arguing that he's trying to buy himself a vote. Because, I mean, if you think that... He's trying to buy himself a vote. If you say he's not. Well, if 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 you're giving away $10 million to African officials. And I, I don't want to knock Africa specifically, but I would question how much of that money is actually going to get to the Africans. Yeah. I mean, the corruption over there is is ridiculously high. And, and I mean, you know, is he, is he just purchasing a seat in the UN Council? Probably. But ultimately, though, when you've got soldiers here and veterans here that, you know, need... There's no money for ...assistance. Them. No, you know what? They're asking for more than the government's willing to give. And that was the answer they got. To everybody else. Yeah, like so. So when Jeremy McKenzie got up there, and I mean, I, I really don't know much about the band. Uh, you know, there are some people out there that have uh, described him to me. Uh, I had an opportunity to speak with him on the telephone. He seemed fairly composed and and really, uh, you know, a nice sounding guy. But I, you know, I congratulated him on being courageous enough to speak his mind publicly and to describe what you know he felt was, you know, unfair. They've got Omar Khadr speaking at universities and getting standing ovations. This is a known terrorist, yeah, that's okay, Halifax. in Halifax. And and I guess um, Jeremy decided because you know his exposures to you know ISIS and terror. Uh, as he was uh, stationed overseas and, and engaged in combat overseas, you know, it was a pretty negative experience. So he he went there, not 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 in protest, but I guess with some some number of people, and and ultimately were asked to leave. I imagine that they probably stood up at some point and said, you know, you're a terrorist, you shouldn't be on that stage. I can't believe people are celebrating, you know, your story. Like I mean, I got a story too. My friends have died, and would they died fighting people like you? And it's really sad that this government would pay you this money and at the same breath not take care of its veterans. And I guess they were asked to leave and he decided that he was going to express an opinion. And, you know, he, he got that out there. Now, now 10 years ago, it was valid. Like, I mean, I, I, I think I think it's it's justifiable. I mean, anybody wants to paint me up to be suddenly a, uh, you know, right wing, you know, extremist or white nationalist supporter. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. But like, I mean, ultimately, he's up there expressing that it's unfair that that guy gets ten point five million dollars and is engaged in the practices and the lifestyle that he chose. And I'm over here and, with, you know, speaking on behalf of all the veterans that don't get the assistance and the help they need. And you're busy telling me this 
there's not enough money. Meanwhile, you're spending you're spending it all over the world, except here in Canada, and what some are describing as an effort to you know break the country financially. And 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 so I was I was actually really impressed with the man. I listening to him, you know, he he spoke. He made some valid points, and he spoke. Like I said, he spoke passionately without crossing the line into a, a full blown rant, which I thought was really really good of him. Because I mean, it's difficult to do when you feel that strongly about a subject. And you know, he got up there, and, and you know, and he and he capped it off by saying, "I guess I'm the bad guy now. You know, I get asked to leave. You know, and and I heard his voice shake just a little bit. That's, and and that's I what you usually get at a left wing event, they will ask you to leave. Yeah, well, they're not interested in hearing your opinion. Uh, you know, I, I certainly saw my fair share of that showing up to some town hall meetings where the gun debate came up. And, you know, people people stood up. They heard Billy Blair, you know, speak an outright lie. He, he would argue that that was the information he had at the time. The, the 50, 50% of firearms were all domestically sourced. And, you know, people stood up immediately and said, well, that's not true. And he said, well, no, no, it's true. And he, they said, no, here's... And I, I watched, you know, Tracy Wilson stood up, at, you know, from the CCFR. She stood up and she held a piece of paper in her hand said, I have the figures right here from, you know, the Toronto Police Service, and they indicate completely the, the contrary, or you know, they, she had figures that indicated that the evidence didn't support that, and he, he backed up and said, well, that's the information I had at the time. Now, meanwhile, every, not every, but in, 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 in multiple, um, you know, occurrences afterwards, that quote of 50% of all firearms are domestically sourced kept resurfacing, oh, yes. and so that, that, that lie that was being put out there to the public, because that's what I'm going to call it. It's it's yeah, you know, like it it's scare tactics, it's fear-mongering, you know, they're they're trying to say that the you know, the firearms are domestically sourced. I like I know as a police officer if they can't identify it, it'll be called domestically sourced. If you know, if a police officer uses a firearm in 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 a police-related shooting, I mean that may count too as domestically sourced. You know, you get a pellet gun, you know, that gets submitted into property and the way the paperwork is laid out, and I say paperwork cuz it's all, you know, it's all electronic now, but I I still use the old term paperwork. But, I mean, the way you tick off boxes and, and the criteria that has to be met, like, I mean, they just call a pellet gun a firearm, and that's all it is. It's either a firearm or it's Nerf not. And yeah, if it's a Nerf gun, you're checking off the firearm box. There really there really isn't an opportunity. You can call it other, and then you can have your staff sergeant send it back to you and say, that's that's a gun. They use it to bump up the statistics. Well, yeah, it changes the numbers. And then, once again, you, you're returning to how you're um, misguiding, potentially, the public or misleading the public. Not true. It's not, and it's not true. And once you see it in black and white, and people read it, they're going to believe what they see. Yeah, that's yeah. human nature. Not, nobody's going to question it. Well, you know what? That's the problem. Is I think we need to start to question everything coming out of the mouths of our government leaders. I, like, I, I, I really, I really think that there's been enough instances of uh, engagement in in shady practices and enough ethical violations uh, that we should all be very, uh, very leery of anything that comes out of their mouths. And I mean, I, I don't believe anything that comes out of the CBC anymore, CTV, nope. the mainstream media. Uh, like, I mean, I think, I think the Canadian population has to embrace. You know the possibility that they're being lied to, and and of course I've been talking about it for years. You know, seek out other alternative news sources, and and make sure that what you're getting is actually the truth before you make any you know determinations or arrive at any final decisions. I watch a lot of political shows. Yeah, I don't know why I just do. Uh, you're politically active. Yeah, <laughs> it's my nature. Yes, sir. And I listen to a lot of the people, and what they are saying is an opinion. It's not a fact. They are giving opinions on these political shows. And if you've got four people there that are expressing all identical opinions, yes, 
this is going out on the air. Mm-hmm. These people have the stage and they can twist a lot of people's minds with their opinion. Mm. Doesn't have to be a fact. You know, feelings, not facts. You know, people seem more concerned with, you know, whether or not you're going to hurt someone's feelings, right? Than whether or not. You don't need to go down this road, Mark. You know what? I, I, I want to. I want to because you know what? I like, I'd like to capture your thoughts uh, on the subject. <laughs> you know what? As long, poor feelings. Uh, your poor feelings. No, no. Like, I, I think, you know, you know, we, you, you and I have discussed this before. Uh, you know, I, I really think that it's important, you know, that, that people be able to talk about subjects. If you have a problem, the only way you're going to solve it is by dealing with it. And this relates not just to the firearms debate, uh, not just the immigration debate. This, 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 is, this is anything. You know, when I say immigration debate, I'll, qual- I'll qualify that by saying that illegal, I- illegal immigration is always a problem. That's why or there's... That's why there's a proper immigration. Well, th- you know, that's why there are laws in place. I think that people fail to understand that there's a reason why we have an immigration system. The reason why we have an immigration system is because it is designed, you know, to safeguard Canadian residents. It's not designed to, you know, generate this atmosphere of bigotry and racism that that, that the left would often try and, you know, propose that. Yeah, people, people now are you know engaged, and I, I really don't believe that. I don't think that Canada is Islamophobic. I don't think that Canada is you know coronavirophobic. Right? Like I, you know, like I, like I think I might be a little bit. You, you might be a I little bit, it. right? Nobody wants it. Yeah, you know, the coronavirus. That's a whole other podcast altogether. But I mean, like you know, what? I, I really, I really don't believe. But like, when did Canada suddenly become this racist, bigoted, you know, uh, nation of people? No, no, I really I don't, don't think we. No, but you know what, though? If you listen to the media groups, if you listen to our liberal leadership, they almost want you to believe that that's exactly what we are. And we're not. Like, we're not. I, I know I'm not. I'm from the 70s. I expect you're from the 60s, right? Like, we were immersed. 50s. We, 50s. We were immersed. Saw the Averro fly. There, you saw, that's how old I am. That's, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right? Well, well, no, but like, you and I are from generations that were completely immersed, in, you know, still in racism and bigotry. And you and I came out of that. I, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I, I really don't. I don't think you do either. Uh, no, I've worked with many oriental, black, you use the term Oriental. See that? That's what I'm talking about. Somebody today would tell you you can't say that. You oh, can't. You from can't. The Orient, the Oriental. See, yeah, it's be, called reality. Well, no, 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 no. But but the, but the whole term Oriental is considered to be derogatory. So now you know so Asian, Caucasian derogatory. No, no. He's calling me a white guy. No, no. Well, you know, it's 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 funny. My grandfather, my grandfather, um, you know, was was uh, a fairly progressive old school Italian born in like you know 1916 and you know when when he was in the late 70s he still was a bit of a dinosaur and he tried to explain to me that I needed to change a little bit and he said you know Marco <laughs> you know the colored people Marco right like or, or he actually he used the n-word he, he did, you know, he used the N word and, and my, my grandfather wasn't malicious man at, by any, by any definition, but like he was definitely from a different time and he had to deal with racism himself, but he, mm-hmm. he used the N word and I, and I kind of looked at him and said, you know, grandpa, you know, no, no, grandpa, you, you can't use that word anymore. And he looked at me and he says, oh yeah. He says, that's right. They call them colored people now. I'm, I'm sorry. Like he, he was, he was willing to make the change because at the time colored was the, the new term that people had accepted in that in that 
frame of time. Colored was was the new, you know, Afro-Canadian. Like, it, it was the generally accepted term at the time. And he used it and said, I'm sorry, you're right. You know, like, he, he, was, he didn't want to offend anybody. That was never his intention. And so, you know, he said that. And, and he, he said, you know, that uh, the little guy... Um, Coleman on uh, different strokes was like the, the, the funniest colored guy he had ever seen. And, and, you know, and he, and he loved that show and, you know, but, but like as time goes on, you know, the terminology changes and I'm telling you right now that today, by today's standards, the term Oriental is considered completely unacceptable. I'll educate you. I educate you. You can educate me. I, too, you're too old to learn. Close to the end. No, you're now, not. You're gonna you're gonna outlive there me. There's nothing racist, malicious. That's just that's what you are. Just same as me. It's like I'm a Canuck. Canuck a bad term? No, but then again, you know what? I've noticed that you know Canadians don't seem to get offended by much. We we have pretty thick skins. We're pretty practical people. Uh, I, I hurt your feelings. Well, you know, like I mean, as 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 Canadians go, I'd like to think I'm pretty easygoing. Uh, I've always kind of laughed at people and said, you know, I'm 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 probably more liberal than people think. And when I say that, I mean I'm like yesterday's liberal. I mean, like I I believe that gay people should be allowed to get married. Oh, why not? Hey, whatever you want to do, it doesn't bother me. I I I I, I truly believe like many conservatives do these days that you know what live any way you want to live don't hurt anybody else right don't try and impose your belief system on me freedom baby right but but yeah you know what like hey you know what what hey whatever Right, like, and that, and I, I truly believe that that's most of Canada. And to characterize us as racist or bigoted is is really wrong. And and so, like, I, I, I if but I, it puts forth an agenda that the left wing loves. Well, they love they love to use. I noticed, and back to you know terminology and verbiage, they love to use words. And I, I learned this very early on in life. I had a, I had an English teacher in high school that told me, Mark, there is so much power in language. You, you don't realize how much power there is in language. And if you have a strong command of the English or any other language, you have power. And, and the liberal government uses that philosophy to its advantage at every turn. Things as simple as the buyback. It's not a buyback. By calling it that, you soften how it feels to the general public. It's stealing. It's stealing. It's confiscation, it's which sounds confiscation. confiscation sounds certainly authoritarian. You know, like we're confiscating it. Like you know, confiscation council is not. Well, <clears throat> and 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 exactly. And so so, you know what? They want to sidestep that that image of authoritarian sort of practices, but it's at the same time that's exactly what it is. I mean, like confiscation by any other name. You want to call it a buyback? Call it whatever you want. If I don't give in to your forced buyback, then I go to jail and that's wrong. And if you're going to, in the face of evidence that suggests completely the contrary and right, police services, police chiefs, police associations, RCMP reports, all the people that you said were qualified experts uh, regarding the uh, firearm debate, right, are all indicating now that there is no merit at all in pursuing legal gun owners. They're not part of the problem uh, by any definition to completely now ignore what they're saying. The people that you said were the experts we should listen to and instead push forward uh, a new body of laws through what's called orders in council, which is really what that whole e-petition is about. It's not about guns. It's about a government skipping a step in the democratic process and not debating properly and arguing properly why they would deprive Canadians of their privately owned legal property. 
No property rights in Canada. Yeah, but that's got to change. That's got to change. And I really do believe that. And I think that the first, the first thing we got to do when we replace this government, okay, hell, screw it. Let's not even wait till we replace the government. I really do believe that we should sell right now to the general public the idea that if you own it, if you own it, it's yours. Right. Because I think that's something that everybody can get on board with. I don't think you got to be a gun owner to, to want to own your house because truthfully, folks, if you're listening right now, you don't own your house. Your bank account isn't yours. Your car isn't yours. Those guns that you own, they're not yours. Nothing is yours. They're all the crowns. It all belongs to the queen. And, and this is something that I believe truly needs to change, and it will come in the form uh, of an amendment to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms here in Canada, and we need to enshrine property rights in that document. Right. We need to make sure that people never need to run the risk again of having property unnecessarily and unfairly seized by a government, because those are the practices of, of an authoritarian, totalitarian type government dictatorships. That's what dictatorships do. If you look in China, if they want something of yours, they just take it. It doesn't matter that it's guns, folks. It could be anything. It could be anything of yours. You imagine Somebody just one day, the government said, we're buying back your house. Buy. Get out of it. Well, you know what? You don't need that big house, right? You don't need that. You don't need that big house. You don't need that big house. We we think that it's much more efficient if we stack you one on top of the other in these little cubes. And, you know, it's much more efficient. You certainly don't emit as much. You don't need all that room to move around. You don't need a foyer in your house. You don't need that car that guzzles too much gas. This is the road that they take us down. If you... you just reminded me of Dr. Zhivago. And if you've never seen it, this is socialism. And when you see it, you're not going to like it. You know, but they, they, they paint- took the doctor's big house. There was like 16 families suddenly in his house. Yeah. And it was like, you got a complaint? No, I'm good. Well, heaven forbid you should oppose Ooh, a communist yeah. regime because see yeah. that. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, they keep on painting up. And when I say they, I mean, like, it's, it's really sad to see Western culture and today's Western youth romanticizing socialism. Right. Romanticizing communism. Like I can remember a time not that long ago. I mean, I, I get I get it. Like, I mean, if you're just told about communism, and socialism and you hear that everybody's equal. And, you know, you don't have to work as hard to take some portion of that multi-billionaire's, you know, uh, successes. It's, it's a very attractive idea, especially for a generation that thrives on this sense of entitlement and that they deserve things that they haven't worked for. Make the rich pay. Right. Hey, you know what? Why the hell should he be a multi-billionaire while I'm making the pencils in his factory? Well, you know, Ben Shapiro had the best line. He said, well, without, without him, you wouldn't have a job. Right. You just be a guy making some pencils. He's the guy that's orchestrated all this, taking all the risks. Like, I mean, you don't deserve. He's assumed all the risks. He's the one. Right. That's that's done this thing that allows you to have a job that pays for the things that you love. So, no. Right. But you have the opportunity to go where he went. If you engage in capitalism, engage in capitalism, start up a business, you have the opportunity in a socialist system. You're going to have the job they give you. Well, you know, and that's and, 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 that, and that's another thing, you know, you get you get people that, that don't know, like, I mean, uh, to all those people out there that think that they know that socialism is a good thing. I, I'm going to tell you right now. OK, it's run by humans. It's it it it, it thrives <laughs> on its drone workers. It determines so many aspects of your life. Look, look at China. Like, I mean, people are looking over their shoulder knowing 
that their movements, their behavior, their activities are being monitored all the time. All the time. And you can be punished even if there's not a cop around because of the way they've got it set up with the uh, multitude of cameras that they use, the facial recognition technology they use, the social demerit system that Coach Nick always talks about, where you you will be punished. Your amount of freedoms are determined by your behavior and the number of demerit points you accumulate or they take away, whatever it works. But I can tell you that socialism is not this beautiful thing. You know, everybody's, but. everybody's equal. Yeah, equally poor. If you look at any any country that has communism as its base platform, it, it, like people are not living well, and they're subjected to mistreatment. Unless you're in the political side of it. Unless you're in politics or the military and or at the top end, you you live like kings and you fly around like Justin Trudeau in a in a jet. Okay, <laughs> and you get and there. and you get to live like a king. Meanwhile. Other people are struggling to make ends meet. You're a couple hundred dollars away, you know, from insolvency. And, you know, you're barely, you know, able to pay your bills. You know, you're, you're struggling, you know, while, while leadership live these ridiculous, you know, frivolous seemingly lifestyles where they're, you know, entertained on Aga Khan's islands and, you know, they're, they're treated like royalty everywhere they go and they can have anything they want. Meanwhile, you know, the, the base of its citizens are, are forced to work, you know, harder to get less. Right. And, and are subjected again, you know, like to a lot of human rights violations occur in, in these countries that adopt these kinds of, you know, regimes. Like it's, it's, it's really frightening. Like people don't understand. Like you, you think that socialism or, you know, ultimately cap, you know, communism is a good thing. I can tell you that, that so many people are abused. So many people historically have been killed, you know, in, in those kinds of regimes where the oppositions are to, to, to those regimes are dealt with severely. There is no opposition. There can't be. Right. When you've got a dictatorship, the minute that you, you know, uh, materialize as opposition, they'll deal with you. You'll either be jailed or you'll be put to death. Like, I mean, just think of any any place in time historically, you know, where you've got like, look at Nazi Germany. Like, I mean, hey, the the German people, you know, like, I don't think that they wanted to all load you know, Jewish people into ovens, but that shit was going on. It was legal. They it, made it got they, to the point they had no choice. It was either that or you yourself would have been yeah. Off. You want to you want to disagree with what's going on? That's fine. You're a sympathizer, all right, and you'll be joining your friends, right, in the in the oven, in the easy bake oven, right, in the oven, and and so and and that's the road that socialism leads us down. Now, like, do we have socialist aspects, you know, here in, in Canada, and have we for quite some time successfully? Yep. Absolutely. Our healthcare is a perfect example of that. You can you can all pay into something and and get a, a a standardized form of care back out of it, but the further down that road you go. You know, where the government is given more and more control, it inevitably leads to a place where people get stomped on, their rights get stomped on hard. And and that's why it's so important, you know, that like things like this petition, this this E2341, it's not about guns. It's about democratic process and making sure that we have a government that understands that they serve us and not the other way around. It's about freedom. It's about freedom. 
Right? And so we, line. so we encourage everybody to sign it, uh, spread it around to your friends. We've only got a couple of days left on that one. I think that it's really important that uh, people share that and uh, talk about what's going on with their friends, not just about guns, just in general. Like, I mean, the economy is going into the shitter. Uh, the, the West is being alienated more and more seemingly every day, almost in a deliberate attempt to make them want to go. If I didn't know better, right? I mean, despite what comes out of his mouth in parliamentary says, we're working hard, but no, you're not. Every single move you make by design is making the people out West want to get the fuck away from you. Right? Like, I mean, and I don't blame them. And, and, you know, I really, I really, really think it's important that people understand that that this country breaking up is not a good thing. And I'm not supportive of the West busting away. But at the same time, I totally understand that the need, right, to, to get those people back on their feet, get them back to work, to stop seemingly destroying, right, the backbone of the Canadian economy, the energy sector out there. I mean, you can't, you can't continue down this path. No. Bottom line of all this is you got to relate to how much pollution does Canada put into the world? Mm -hmm. And it's not a lot. Oh, it's all relative. It's it's all relative. Like compared to China, we put nothing out. Nothing. So why do we have to go to the zero carbon emissions like so quick and make all these people in Alberta because stuff. because Justin Trudeau wants to set an example. Not just him, whatever. Other people like these activists, green activists. But you know, we could temper it down a little bit. Like I understand the whole green thing. We all mm. want to live, breathe clean air and sure. clean water. But sure, people still got to live. And you know what? You're not going to get rid of gas and oil. Even in a green economy, you still need oil. Somebody got to make it. You know what? You won't get rid of it overnight, and you and you probably will never get rid of it uh, altogether completely no. until you have a viable alternative. And, and there and, isn't right now. And, and you know, and there's and there's and there's the final point that I'd like to make before we call it a day. You know, um, I, I, about I, wind turbines. Uh, you know what? We we could talk about wind turbines if you want, but I but I want to I want to get this statement out there because I'm sure that there's somebody right now that's sitting there saying, "Oh, climate denier, you're an asshole. You're not placing enough emphasis climate on the denier. environment." No, no, no. Well, you know what? I think I think that it's important that we develop the energy sector, uh, you know, and that we we start to explore the other avenues of cleaner energy, and and that we make sure that we've got people in a position where they're not losing their jobs, you know, tens and thousands at a time. And, 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 and having an enormous, you know, negative impact on the economy by suddenly, you know, making decisions that have, uh, you know, that kind of negative impact on that industry. Like, I mean, I really do believe in taking care of the planet. Uh, I really do believe that, you know, climate change is real. It may be cyclical. It may be a natural thing. You know, like, uh, who are we, these little specks on the planet, you know, to say that, you know, we're, we're throwing stuff up into the atmosphere that's having that big an impact. I, not when a volcano, one eruption from a volcano that has nothing to do with human involvement throws more carbon into the atmosphere in one eruption than humans do over a thousand years. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't tell me that we're doing that much, you know, to damage the environment. Now, now could we be treated? the environment a lot better absolutely we should always be striving to do that i really do believe that human beings should always be trying harder to treat this planet well i think there's a lot of countries out there that need to do a much better job and we should be if we want to lead do the hard thing criticize the countries like china and let them know that you're not going to be supportive when they're spitting up you know 18 times more shit into the atmosphere than anybody else they're still burning coal they're building more plants to burn more coal you know the amount of 
of garbage, the amount of garbage that's being flushed, you know, out into the ocean, looking at, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to name the other countries at this point, but I mean, there's several Malaysian, uh, you know, countries that are putting garbage into the ocean. They're just, they're just, they're just pulling up dump trucks and like dropping, you know, the, the, the refuse right into the water system and it's going right out into the ocean. And I mean, have I seen that poor turtle with that straw being pulled out of his nose? Yeah, I did. And it was awful. And my, and you know, like I, it, it breaks my heart as an animal lover Canada to see that. that. Well, you know, but we're not, we're not responsible for that, but we'll ban, but, but we'll ban straws in California to make people feel better. The Philippines and let them dump it. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, like here's Canada criticizing, you know, you know, Canadians. Meanwhile, we're carting off our, our stuff. Taxpayers dollars are paying to send our garbage to the Philippines to probably dump it into the ocean, <laughs> but it's so bad that they send it back to us <laughs> and we got to figure, we, we got to figure something else out. Now, if only we could, you know, incinerate garbage uh, without throwing a bunch of crap into the atmosphere, I think we'd be really well off. I, re- I really wish somebody could come up with a way to just, you know, zap it and make there it disappear. At some time, somebody was incinerating garbage and producing electricity with it. There's got to be. So they kind of like got a valuable use from it. Yeah. Yeah. Got rid of it. Yeah, you know what? Recycling, recycling, and producing energy at the same time. I could get down with that. I could, I could get down with that. One of my favorite things that I like. I was was a mechanic. Yeah. And one day the guy comes and he's picking up all our old tires. And I looked at the guy and I said, "What are you doing with these?" And he goes, "Well, we're going to recycle some of them." And they said, "What do you do with the rest?" I said, "Send them to South America." I said, "We can get five bucks each for them." <laughs> I said, "So we're going to recycle them into the Amazon jungle?" He said, "Yeah, pretty much." Wow. You know, I can't get money. down with that. I, you know, money. Money. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And you know what? I I, I get that. You know, makes the world go round. I understand, but not not at the cost of the planet. And I mean, I, I like I, some things, you know, I would want people to know about, you know, us here at the Canadian gun vault. We're, we're chock full of animal lovers and, and I people. Yep. You love animals. I, I truly believe in taking care of the planet and, and the climate, um, you know, changes, uh, you know, may or may not be, uh, you know, uh, like ultimately I think that it's really important that people understand that, you know, like we hold the same values as a lot of liberal supporters. Like, I mean, like we, we do, you know, like I, I have no problem. I have no problems with, with the idea that we should be doing a better job of taking care of the planet. I have no, I have no problems with, you know, um, you know, trying to make the transition away from, you know, the energy sources we've used typically in the past and fossil fuels. But I mean, it has to be a, a process people can live with, you know, like, I mean, it has to be real. It has to be realistic, you know, and, and you can't just say, we're going to shut off the taps and we're going to ignore that industry. And all those people are going to be out of work. Like what happens when the equalization payments that keep the rest of the country afloat, you know, are, are suddenly stopped because we have destroyed the energy sector. Then what? Like, I mean, I really, I really am pissed off with the people out, out, out East. And I mean, I know not everybody voted liberal, uh, that lives in Newfoundland or Labrador out East there, but I mean, you really have cut your own throat if you voted for this government and then they're going to kill the energy sector out West. And if out West isn't producing and the money stops flowing, I don't know what you guys are going to do out there in Nova Scotia. I mean, if you need that money uh, and it's going to stop at some point, one way or another, they're either going to break away and be their 
their own unit and say, we're not paying Quebec and we're not paying the Maritimes anymore and you're shit out of luck, or the economy is just going to collapse because they, they no longer are producing. So there has to be some viable option, you know, like there has to be a smooth transition over time. And I think that, you know, this, this me, me, me now, now generation needs to be realistic. And I, I think that it's important that they understand that failure to do so is, is just going to push us into some, you know, areas that are going to be terrifically damaging for the nation. Yep. And yeah. as we all know, mm-hmm. down east, you got Irving Oil. Yeah. Where do they get the oil from? You tell me. Saudi Arabia oh, and yeah. the U.S. They're not even burning our Canadian-made oil, so they no help whatsoever. And we just had a rail spill of 1.2 million liters of oil because, well, we can't put a pipeline in. Like, rail is not better. Yeah, for all, for, for all those people that get down on pipelines, I can tell you that accidents happen, and as uh, oil is being transported by, a, uh, by other means, there's by rail or by boat, you can find uh, yourself in a situation where so much uh, of the environment can be damaged with one small accident. You know, like, I mean, oil spills in the water, uh, you know, a train accident where, you know, carloads of this stuff hit the ground. You know, it's so damaging to the environment. If you love the environment, I think you'd be for pipelines. Right, it's the safest way for the for the it's fuel to travel. It's not perfect, but you know what though? It's it's in it's, the end, it's better. Well, certainly, certainly in my mind, it presents less risk. Yeah. You know, less less moving parts, less to go wrong. Yep, and the oil industry is not going to just disappear in the next ten years. There's just no way. No, and anybody to happen. and anybody that tries to sell you on that idea, right, is trying to sell you a pipe train. Yeah, like they're pie in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Just won't happen. Just won't happen. Anyway, that's about all the time we have for today's episode. Black Powder Dave, always great having you here, buddy. Yep. Sorry for anybody I offended out there. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? There's bound to be a couple, but you know what, though? They'll have to live with it. Spirit in me. It's all in good. Uh, You're a good man. Anyway, that's about all the time we have for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on YouTube and on Instagram. And as always, Canada, don't forget to shoot straight. Stay safe.